Wonderful. How many of you brought your Bible with you tonight? We hold up the Word of God all over the building. I want to ask you to join me now in the book of Romans, chapter 16 tonight. The book of Romans, chapter 16. I have an old Schofield Bible, as you know, and I, uh, I preach out of this old Schofield Bible. And, and if you have one, it's page number 1209 in the book of Romans, chapter 16. I'd like to read maybe two and a half, three verses here tonight. And just, uh, if I could, just go back and just from these verses try to preach something that I hope will be an encouragement to us tonight. All right, Romans chapter 16. Don't forget, Wednesday night service here at 7. I hope you'll be here for that. Of course, prior to that, we have supper and soul winning. Uh, soul winning and then, uh, let's say, no, supper, then soul winning, and then our service and uh, at Wednesday night at 7. Hope you'll pray that God will meet with us and help us in the service. All right? Romans chapter 16, it is straight up and down, 6 o'clock right now, all right? And so I got my eye on the clock, and so I won't keep you long, and I'll read some verses here in a moment. Let's pray. Father, thank you now for the fact that you do stand between us and the storm. And Lord, not only do you stand with us, uh, stand between us, but you stand with us in the storm. And uh, Lord, I'm so thankful that regardless of the, uh, the tenacity of the storm that we face, I'm so glad that regardless of all that, you're always there for us, and for that we're grateful. Now, would you please bless your word tonight and just speak to our hearts, and the Lord use these verses to encourage us all, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you think back to the beginning of this year, one of the things that we challenged you to do, of course, this is our 100-year anniversary celebration, but we challenged you to read through the Bible this year. I, I honestly think we'd probably be surprised at how many people sit in our churches week in, week out, who have never read through the entire Bible before. So this year, we made a concerted effort to kind of just right up front challenge everybody to read through their Bible this year. So you'll notice that in the church bulletin every week, it'll have a little section there that talks about the chapters you should read, uh, whatever, the verses you should read for this week, Monday through Friday, uh, Sunday, whatever, to get you through reading through your Bible in one year. So let me ask you something. How are you doing? How are you doing in that? Now, don't give up. I mean, what are we? We're eight months into the year now, a little over eight and a half months into the year. Don't give up. I've had some people already come tell me, Preacher, I've already done this year. In fact, I've started on it all over again. But one of the things, if you know, as you know, reading through the Bible, one of the things you encounter in various places in the Bible is those long lists of names that you run into, most of which you, if you're like me, cannot even pronounce. Have you ever wondered why God put those long lists of names in the Bible? Of course, I'm sure there's a number of reasons, and I'm not the most spiritual rock in the box, but I, I come up with a couple of reasons that I believe why God put those long lists of names in the Bible. I think, number one, He put them in there to assure us that He knows us by name. That's right. I mean, we live in a cold world. In this world that you and I are living in, you know, people don't know you much by your name anymore. I mean, you're more of a number than you are a name. Every time I call the doctor, and I don't call the doctor much, but when I call them, they want to know, hey, do you have a, are you a patient with us? I try to go every 15 years whether I need to or not. And uh, are you a patient? Well, what's your patient? And to my doctor, all I am is just a patient number. That's all I am. To my creditors, and believe me, i got a bunch of them, but to my creditors, every time I call them up, they want to know what my account number is. They don't care about my name. They want to know what my account number is. When I have an insurance claim and I call my insurance company, they don't care what my name is. They want to know what my policy number is. 
I mean, you could go on and on and on. To my state, state of North Carolina, I'm just a driver's license number. And to my federal government, all I am is a social security number. I mean, all I am in this world is just a number. In fact, I read in the Bible where the devil even wants to give me a number. That's right. In my right hand or my forehead, he wants to put a number up there, 666. That's all, all I am to this world. But not to God. I'm a name. I'm a person. I am a child of God, and He knows me by my name. Maybe God put those lists in there just to remind us, hey, you're more than just a number to me. You are a name. Then a second reason, maybe God put those long lists of names in there just to let us know He's keeping good records. That's right. God is keeping a record, very accurate records. In fact, someday, everybody in this room is going to have to face the record of our lives. I read over there in the book of Revelation where the Bible said one of these days the books are going to be open. The books, plural. I think that means the books of the Word of God. Sixty-six inspired books of the Word of God. They're going to be open some of these days. I think about the book of life. That's going to be open some of these days. I think about the book, the record of my life. That's going to be open. I'm going to have to face that some of these days. But here in Romans chapter 16, we have another one of those chapters of these long list of names that are found in the Bible. I went through this whole chapter, if I'm right, and I may have missed one, but if I'm right, I went through this whole chapter this week and I counted 37 different names that are mentioned in Romans chapter 16. By the way, that's not to, that's not to mention that Paul just grouped some of them together and said, tell, tell the saints hello. I mean, a vast number of, of a group of other people that we don't even know who their names are. And Paul just said, hey, tell them. Tell them. You know, Paul had a habit of that as he concluded the letters that he wrote. He had a habit of sending greetings uh, to, to various people. As he closed out letters, he would always send greetings from somebody. For example, if Timothy was with him or, or uh, Barnabas or uh, Silas or whoever, he would say, hey, these folks said tell y'all hello. And then when he wrote to people, he'd say, hey, and tell, tell so-and-so that I said hello. You know, Paul was interested in people. Paul knew something about the ministry that I think we probably all need to learn, and that's this, that the ministry is not only for people, but the ministry is by people. That's right. It's not just for, for the ministry, people, but the, the, the ministry is, is by people as well. You know, Paul understood that he was not a one-man show. Paul understood that he had a large crowd, a large cast of people that were working with him in the work of God. And uh, as we look at this text tonight, most of the names in this chapter, I don't know anything about. I mean, most of them, as we just read down through here, I mean, really, they're mentioned maybe one time at the most two times in the Bible, and we really don't know a whole lot about them. But there are some of these people in this chapter and other chapters throughout the Bible that Paul gives us just a little tidbit of truth about their life. He gives us a bone or two about their life, and from that little skeleton that we find in the Word of God about their lives, we try to maybe flesh out a story. You know, one of the things that I like to do as a preacher is I like to take a little bone here and a little bone there, here a bone, there a bone, everywhere a bone, a bone. I try to take a little bone that's given to us throughout the Bible, and I like to try to paint a picture of a person's life from that, from that story. And so I'm going to be preaching for the next two or three, four, five Sunday nights 
on what I'm calling the snapshot, the snapshot of saints. And what I want to do is I just want to go through the Bible, especially in the New Testament, and look at some people that are mentioned that maybe we just got another line or two about them, either in the text or somewhere else in the New Testament. And let's see if we can't flesh out the story about their lives. Now tonight, I'm going to start here in Romans chapter 16. Because right up front in this particular chapter, we are told about a, a, a couple of people that I want to talk about. In fact, not just one person, but two people. And not just two people, but two people that have become one people. You know why? Because they're a married couple. And I just want to talk about this man and his wife tonight for just a little bit. Look at verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet, say hello to the church that is in their house. Now, you know something as you read through the Bible, there are many fine examples throughout the Word of God of husband and wife teams that serve the Lord together. I mean, you read through the Bible. I mean, you barely read first two or three chapters in the Bible and you run into a husband and a wife team, Adam and Eve. You read just barely a little bit longer and we got Noah and his wife and their boys. And you read a little bit further and we run into Abraham and Sarah. And then we move to Isaac and Rebekah. And then to Jacob and Rachel and Leah. And then, I mean, all through the Bible, Moses, Moses' wife, Jochebed. I mean, people, couples that serve the Lord together. You know, serving God ought to be a family affair. Serving the Lord ought to be a family affair. This matter of living for Jesus ought to be something that the whole family is involved in. I'm glad God deals in a household salvation. You remember when Paul, when that, he was over at Philippi and that old Philippian jailer got saved? And before he got saved, he, he, he ran in there where Paul and Silas were at, all strung up in there, incarcerated, all chained up in the jail, and he was so tore up, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said this, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. But he didn't stop there. And he also said, that, said this, And thy house. You know something, normally when one gets saved in a household, it usually starts a domino effect in that house, and it kind of just trickles down through the whole family. That's true especially of a husband or a wife, Sometimes it's true even of a child that when somebody gets saved, it introduces Jesus into that household. I remember vividly. I No, I don't remember vividly. I, I was too young to, to remember all this, but I do know the difference that it made in my own family when my daddy got saved. My mama and my daddy got saved. Mama had been brought up in church. My daddy was kind of brought up kind of a primitive Baptist background. You know, those hard shellers, you know, whatever these won't be, and God's picked some to go to heaven, everybody else got to go. And, and, and that's kind of how my daddy was brought up, that old hard shell primitive Baptist movement. And so it wasn't long until daddy went to work at the plastic plant at Mount Area. They called it the plastic plant at the time. And uh, he went to work down there, and he started working with a preacher by the name of Rayton Puckett. And Rayton Puckett introduced my daddy to the Lord Jesus. And buddy, when daddy got saved, it brought Jesus into our family. Mama got right with God. And I promise you, that 
that, that one event, that one incident, changed the outcome of the rest of my family. And by the way, not only that family, but now that I got saved, my wife got saved, my children have got saved, it's changed the outset of that family, my family, and hopefully my grandchildren that are coming on, and my, my children making a difference in their family. I just try to tell you, God, God specializes in household salvation. I like what Jesus told that old maniac of Gadara after he got saved. And boy, he's sitting at the feet of Jesus and he's clothed and in his right mind. And finally they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you please just get out of here? You're tearing our nerves up. Jesus, you're ruining our pig business over here. You have got to go. And Jesus got back on the ship and coming up right behind him on the game plate was that old former maniac of Gadara. And Jesus looked at him and said, where are you going? He said, Jesus, I just want to stay with you. He said, no, i got a better plan for you. Why don't you go home and tell your family and your friends what great things the Lord had done for you? You know, in reality, really, the first place we should demonstrate true Christianity is inside our homes. But how many most of us, how many of us know most of the time that's the last place we demonstrate true Christianity? I mean, we wouldn't think about going down at the shop and people that we work with and throwing a fit and throwing a block of wood and cussing everybody. We wouldn't think about doing that. You know why? We don't want to hurt our testimony. But we'll go home and cuss a blue streak, throw a can of beans against the wall, just fuss and holler and raise the roof there at the house. You know what Paul said? Paul said the first place in the world you should show Christianity ought to be in the side of the, the four walls of your house. That's right. 1 Timothy 5.4. I didn't put it on the screens, but I can quote it to you from memory. All right? Here we go. Bring ye all the tithe into the storehouse, saith the Lord. No, I'm kidding. 1 Timothy 5.4, learn to show piety first at home. That word piety means devotion, sincerity, religious zeal. Learn to show that at home. Listen, friend, don't, don't export Christianity. Import it. Bring it inside the four walls of your house. Amen and amen. I tell you what, you ought to have a little church before you ever get over here to church. Amen. There ought to be a little worship going on at your house before you ever come to the house of God. I tell you what, if we'd worship at home, we'd have more worship at the house of God. Yes, sir. Don't export Christianity. Import it. Bring it inside your home. Well, here's an old boy in our text tonight. His name is, uh, is Priscilla and, 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 and Aquila. Her name's Priscilla. His name is Aquila. Now, the name Aquila means this. It means eagle. I like that name. Woodland, that's what it means. Woodland Baptist Christian School Eagle. That's what Aquila means. If anybody ever asks you what Aquila means, that means WBCS Eagles. His name means eagle. Now, Priscilla, boy, I had to do some, had to trace this one out because Priscilla means little Prisca. I thought, what in the world? And the name Prisca means ancient. So I guess putting that together, what her name means is this. She's the little ancient one. In fact, she was from the city of Rome, and to this day, as I understand it, in Rome, there is a church to little Prisca there, and there's a, actually a street in Rome named Prisca. So she must have had some influence in the city of Rome. Well, what happened was these two, Priscilla and Aquila, got together and gloriously got saved by the grace of God. 
And then we read a little bit about the story of their life in these three verses that I've read to you tonight. Let's see if we can't take a bone or two here and make a story out of it. First of all, I want you to look at verse number three, and let me just say this about this couple. Number one, they were helpful to the men of God. They were helpful to the men of God. You say, preacher, where do you get that? Look at verse number three. Paul said, hey, hey, he's writing now, and he says, hey, he's writing to the, uh, to the church at Rome. He's writing this book from Corinth, and while he's in Corinth and he writes to Rome, before he concludes his letter, he says, hey, 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 be sure to tell Aquila and his wife Priscilla, I said hello. And then he throws this in there in verse number 3. He says this, I'll tell you one thing, they're my helpers. They are my helpers in Christ Jesus. You know something about preachers? Let me tell you something about preachers because I think I can speak from experience just a little bit. Let me tell you something about preachers. You know, preachers need some helpers along the journey of life. You see, preachers not only influence the lives of other people. Thank God for others who influence the lives of preachers. And Aquila and his wife Priscilla were two such people. They had a special place in the heart of the man of God, especially old Paul, but in the hearts of all the men of God uh, because they were helpers to the men of God. I can say this about them. I can say, number one, they encouraged old Paul. They were encouragers to the apostle Paul. You see, back in the book of Acts chapter 18, Paul had come to the city of Corinth and he was at a very low period in his life. He had just left the city of Athens and didn't hardly anything happens in that happened in Athens because they had all kind of gods over there. Here a God, there a God, everywhere a God, a God. I mean, they had a God for every aspect and every walk of life. And Paul went over there preaching the resurrection. Man, they called him a bird brain, a seed picker, a bird brain. They said, this guy's crazy. This guy's off his rocker. And he didn't even start a church in the city of Athens as far as the record of the New Testament goes. He was very low when he left Athens and he came to Corinth. And then when he got to Corinth, he found much of the same, a bunch of people that were opposing the gospel that he was preaching. But then he ran into two people. Look at the, text. Look at the screens here. He ran into two people over there. The Bible said in Acts 18, 1, after these things Paul departed from Athens and he came to Corinth. And then we read this, and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. And then we understand they've been run out of the city of Rome by old Claudius because he's got a vendetta to stomp out Christianity. So these two, Aquila and Priscilla, have had to flee Rome, uh, flee, run for their lives. They wind up in the city of Corinth. I can just see them when they got there thinking, what in the world? God, why did you lead us to the city of Corinth, this wicked and ungodly place? But unbeknown to them, God had them there because there's going to be a preacher that would need a little bit of encouragement. Because we read in the next verse, the Bible said this, and because he was of the same craft, talking about Paul, he, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were all what? They were tent makers. They had the same trade, but more importantly, they had the same testimony. They loved the same Lord Jesus. They loved God. They loved Jesus. And buddy, I want to tell you something. That threesome there, Paul, Aquila, and his wife Priscilla, they hit it off there, right there in the house of God. God had up and relocated them because he knew that his preacher would need a little bit of encouragement along the way. And thank God for a husband and a wife that will be a helper to the man of God.
Amen. They were helpers. They encouraged old Paul. I can just see him encouraging Paul. I mean, Paul, you can't quit. you got to keep going. Paul, hang in there. Man, you're preaching good. You're telling it like it is. We love you, Paul. We're praying for you. We're going to the throne for you, Paul. We got you back. Hang in there. They encouraged Paul. Then I'll show you a second thing they did. They edified Apollos. Now, let me tell you what happened. Paul thought so much of this couple that when he left Corinth on his way to Ephesus, he took Aquila and Priscilla with him. And the Bible said that when he got to the city of Ephesus, they arrived there, they met a preacher that was on fire for God. His name was Apollos. Acts 18.24 says this about Apollos. A certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. So he was already there preaching when Paul got there. And I mean, you talk about preaching. He was an eloquent preacher. He was an orator. He could paint a picture with his tongue. I mean, man, he was a great preacher. He was on fire. He was preaching up a storm but he lacked a little something in his preaching. Now, he was a good preacher. I mean, man, he could preach the horns off the devil, but he lacked a little bit of something in his preaching. So guess what? Here comes this couple again, Aquila and his wife Priscilla. And we read this then. The Bible said, and he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Boy, we need preachers with boldness, don't we? He spoke boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla, there's old eagle and little, little old woman again. And the Bible said Aquila and Priscilla heard, had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. They went to old Apollos, and they said, now, by the way, I love how they handle this. The Bible said they took him unto them. They didn't do it in public. They didn't try to embarrass or humiliate the man of God. Hey, they didn't talk condescending. They didn't go home and roast him over fried chicken or over Sunday dinner. They didn't criticize the man of God. They didn't run down the man of God. They weren't negative about the man of God. The Bible said they said, I can see how it's happened in my sanctified imagination. I can see Priscilla say, uh, 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 Preacher Apollos, we're having food over at the house today. And he said, well, I'm truly trying to watch my diet. I really, what y'all have? She said, fried chicken. He said, what time do we eat? And they took him over to their house. And the Word of God said in a private kind of a situation, in a private kind of a setting, they probably encouraged, hey, you know something? We enjoyed your message this morning. Paulus, man, you've got boldness to stand up in front of that crowd and preach the way you do. I'm telling you, you blessed our hearts. But you know something? There's a few things you probably hadn't heard that's happened. And we'd just like to expound or maybe explain some things maybe you're not aware of. And the Word of God said they took him under them in a private setting. They didn't single him out and embarrass him in front of everybody else. They said, hey, we would like to talk to you. Come over to our house. Let's have a meal. Let's sit down. And they begin to explain some things to him. And then we read this. The Bible said a few verses for he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly showing by the Scriptures that Jesus was Christ. God used a plain old everyday man and his wife who was in the tent making business to be a blessing to the man of God. Amen. This family, this couple, why don't you make up your mind to be a helper to the men of God? 
Amen. There's enough people that's going to run around and criticize and tear down and be negative. Buddy, why don't you make up your mind, I'll be a helper to the man of God. There's enough people sitting around playing Monday morning preacher at their house. Well, I tell you, I wouldn't do that. Well, I tell you, bless his heart, I don't understand why he's doing that. And I, I mean, there's enough of that stuff going around. Hey, make up your mind to be a helper to the man of God. This man and his wife, they were helpful to the men of God. Can I say secondly, 623, not only were they a helper to the man of God, but they were faithful in the work of God. They were helpful to God's man, but boy, they were faithful. To God's work. In fact, they were so faithful. Look again at Acts 16, verse 4. Paul said, let me tell you something about that man and his wife. He said, they have actually laid down, uh, who for my life have laid down their own necks. Now, what does that mean? I'll tell you what it means in Forsyth language. It means they put their necks out on the line. It means they risk their own lives for the life of the Apostle Paul. Can I tell you what happened? I don't know if this is exactly where it happened at, this incident that he's got in mind, but I will tell you, Paul got in trouble while he was at Ephesus. I mean, man, he was preaching against that Diana God that they had over there, and uh, that, that, that stone that fell down from Jupiter. They had that thing walking around, worshiping it. They had a big old temple set up to the, uh, to the worship of Diana, and here come old Paul, and man, he was preaching. Hey, there's no God that's made with man's hands. Amen. Man, he started preaching the one, only, true, and living God. And boy, the first thing you know, people started getting saved. And, and boy, the old Diana started losing her business over there at the temple. People started burning their, their little statues they had of her. Man, their business was suffering. They got mad at Paul, drew him out, started beating on him. I don't know, but maybe it was there when old Priscilla and Aquila rushed in there and saved Paul to the jeopardizing of their own life. That's right. Thank God for people that will not just be helpful to the men of God, but they'll be faithful to the work of God. I'll tell you something else we know about them. If you'll look there at verse number 5, we know one thing. They started the church in their own house. They did. They evidently moved back to Rome after the persecution was over. And the Bible said that they started the church in their own house. Now let me tell you something about this family. They were constantly on the move. They were. So they left Rome. They wind up at Corinth. They wind up in Corinth. They leave Corinth. They move to Ephesus. They leave Ephesus. They go back to Rome. And when they get back to Rome, the Bible said that they start a church right there in their own house. Isn't that good? I mean, here's people that's so in love with the Word of God, so in love with the things of God, that they open up the doors of their own house for the propagation of the gospel, the edification of God's people, and the evangelization of the lost. They open up the doors of their own house and said, hey, we're going to start Rome Baptist Church right here. You say, where are you going to start that? We know this. It wasn't until the third century that the churches moved out of the house and moved into buildings. It was around 300 plus A.D. before, before churches got out of the house and got into buildings. And by the way, somebody said we started in the house. We may wind up in the house before it's over with. Amen. Things get a little rough. But they started a church in their own house. But I'll tell you what. They had church at home. They were faithful to the work of God. Amen. But then there's a third thing mentioned in this text, and that's this. They were helpful to the men of God. 
They were faithful to the work of God. And by the way, can I say this? Everybody can be faithful to the work of God. It doesn't take degrees. It doesn't take a lot of money. It doesn't take a lot of smarts. It doesn't take a lot of talent to be faithful to God. Everybody, like Priscilla and Aquila, everybody can just show up. Everybody can be faithful in the work of God. But I want you to see a third thing. Look at our text. Look at verse number 4. They were needful for the church of God. Look what the Bible said there at the end of verse number 4. Paul said, I give thanks for them. Paul said, I just want to say, boy, I thank God for Priscilla and Aquila. You know, it's something blessed about seeing a husband and a wife together serving the Lord. You know, in our day, we seem to have a strong one and a weak one. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Either the husband's very strong spiritually and the wife's not worth shooting, or we got a strong wife spiritually and the husband's not worth shooting. Isn't that the way it is in our day? I mean, I don't know what's happened to us men being the spiritual leaders of our homes like we're supposed to be. But it seems like the women are just whooping the fire out of us when it comes to anything spiritual anymore. That's right. I just noticed in the choir. Did you look at the choir tonight? There were two times as many men, women up there as there are men. I mean, stop and think about that. I mean, it seems like the ladies have taken the spiritual lead over the men, and us men are just sitting by letting them do it. But I'll tell you what's so blessed is when you've got a husband and a wife together, that are involved in serving God and involved in the ministry and not one having to jerk the other one around, fussing, get up out of the bed, you old lazy bum, shave that three days' growth of beard off, we're going to church this morning. Or then we got a dear husband saying, Honey, now you know it's Sunday morning. Well, I don't want to go to church. Well, I know the stories is on today, but honey, you got to come to church this morning. Isn't it sight? I mean, where is the husbands and the wives together that love our Lord and love the work of God and are faithful together in the house of God? And by the way, if you're the strong one and you got a weak one, bless your heart, keep on being strong. Amen. If you're a man and your wife don't have to come to church, bless your heart, you keep on coming to church. If you're a woman and that old sorry good-for-nothing husband of yours won't come to church, you keep on coming to church. Thank God for people that are faithful. But they were needful. Look at what Paul said about this. I thank God for them. Look at the end of verse 4. But he said, also, all the churches of the Gentiles, thank God for them as well. I'm telling you something. I don't know... I don't know all there is to know about this couple, but I know one thing. Their influence had reached into a lot of various churches around. A lot of churches around had heard about Aquila and his wife, Priscilla. A lot of other people, their influence, their, their faithfulness, their kindness, their love, their, their uh, desire for the things of God had spread abroad. And Paul simply said this, not only do I thank God for them, but there's a whole lot of other churches scattered around that thank God for them too. Could I ask you something? What kind of a difference are you making in the house of God? I'm talking about as a family unit. Don't you wish we all could be Aquila's, us men, and Priscilla's, us ladies, new ladies? Don't you wish that we had people that were working in conjunction with one another and not fussing and fighting all the time and 
and uh, one having to drag the other one toward the things of God, and, and, or else one having to drag the other. I mean, what in the world? Why don't we join up together and just say, Honey, look, let's, we love the same Lord. We're both saved. We're going to live in heaven forever. Let's serve God together. Amen. And involve each other in the work of God. Let's strive. Let's strive to be an Aquila and his wife Priscilla. They were needful for the churches of God. Can I ask you something? What kind of a difference are you making in the church? What kind of a member are you inside the house of God? Hey, what kind of a difference is your family making? You know something? My children are at the age now. They've got to make their own decisions. I, I've told my children all of my life, I said, until you become of age, you're going to live by your daddy's convictions. There'll come a day, though. There'll come a day when you'll be older and you'll have to get a set of your own convictions. But until then, you're going to live by daddy's. But now every one of my children now are old enough to live by their own set of standards. But I, I just want to say this. My children are here tonight, but I want to tell them something. If you want to serve God, I want you to serve God. But if you don't want to serve God, that's not going to stop your daddy and your mama from serving God. Listen, I love you. I love my kids with all my heart, and I hope they'll follow me and follow me, and wherever we go, the Lord, whatever happens, I just hope they'll follow and stay in church, be faithful to God. You know, one of the things that bothers me about this is, you know, one of these days I'm going to be a church member again. I know right now I am a member of a church, but I'm the pastor here, at least until we can do better. And so I'm about all we got right now. But I'll tell you this, there'll come a day, not too far down the road, I'm going to have to go find me a church to join. Me and my wife will. Because I'll get so old and I'll get so feeble in my mind. I'll get Jonah in the ark and Noah in the whale. And I mean, man, I'll be all confused. And you're going to be sitting there saying, what in the world is he talking about? So I'll have to step out of the way one of these days. And we're going to have to go and join a church somewhere. But I tell you what I want us to do. I want us to be a blessing to that preacher. I really do. I don't want to cause him any grief. I want to be a blessing. I want him to know I love him. I'm praying for him. I'm for helping him. I'll do anything I can. I think I'll be a good church member. I hope so anyway. But I want to be a helper to my preacher. Boy, I want to be a help to my church. I want to be a help to other churches. Wherever God leads us and whatever we, wherever we finally wind up at, wherever we finally land some of these days, I just want me and my wife to be a blessing to that church. Amen. I really do. What about you? Let's bow our heads for prayer.